0: Before we begin this week's show, we want to take a minute to stop and tell you about something else. NPR One.
1: At this point, reality will split in two. There is the you that listens to how to do everything, continues, moves ahead and listens to what we have put together for you. And then the other you in a sort of another reality that will go to NPR One and listen to Invisibilia.
0: Or other podcasts and maybe stories from your local station. You can do all of that on the NPR One app.
1: And what seems like a fleeting, almost trivial choice will um, change who you become years from now and will change the course of human history. You can find the NPR One app in your app store now. If you dare. Uh, that It's possible that that choice would lead to the Rise of a uh, new fascism and a global world government, which uh, enslaved uh, really all of humanity. That's a, that's a choice. We don't know which one. It could be that uh, listening to our show begins that cascade of events.
0: You could just stay, stay the course here. Don't do anything. Just continue listening, and we will bring you the latest episode of How to Do Everything. But we are bound to tell you about the
1: NPR One app. Not choosing to move over to NPR1 is also a form of choice. So it's it's not as if when in 10 years we find ourselves crushed under the iron fist of fascism that by looking back and saying, "You know what? I didn't do anything. It's mm-hmm. not my fault." It's still your fault.
0: You can find it now in your app store.
1: NPR ONE. So you you may have heard that There is a new Harry Potter thing. It's a play that is happening in London right now. And they've been very protective of the story. There's been this hashtag, keep the secrets. When you go to the show, they hand out buttons that also say keep the secret to
0: remind you not to give away any information.
1: We, we wanted to look into how the secrets of the books were protected. Uh, so online with us now is Nigel Newton. He's the founder of Bloomsbury Publishing, and they publish Harry Potter in the UK.
0: So, Nigel, when did you guys uh, first know that keeping things under wraps uh, was going to be different with the Harry Potter books?
2: You have to understand that with the first book, The Philosopher's Stone, as we call it in England, we didn't keep things under wraps because... You know, it was just another book. And in fact, I remember uh, reading it as I was traveling on a ferry uh, to France. And each time I'd pass a waste paper basket, I mean, this is what publishers do. You throw away the A4 sheets you read books on as you go. So you're not lugging the whole thing around Uh the whole time. So with hindsight, that becomes remarkable uh, because that was in a pre-secrecy era. So... Just
1: to be clear about what you were saying, with the the first Harry Potter manuscript was at one point scattered across trash cans between London and France.
2: I didn't say trash cans. I said waste paper baskets. It (laughs) sounds so much more genteel. Uh, Yeah, on a ferry, yes. Wow. Wow.
1: So as fans were becoming more and more rabid, what were people trying to do to kind of get advanced knowledge of what was going to be in the books.
2: Um, Printing the Deathly Hallows. Um, By then, we had uh, German Shepherd or Alsatian dogs walking around the perimeter of the printing works. We had CCTV cameras everywhere. In spite of all of that, one of the security guards that uh, the the printer, who were very brilliant, are still a very brilliant firm. They uh, had a security guard who's job was to protect copies damaged in the printing process, because they still would have the paper and the words, even if they'd kind of been bashed by a forklift truck. So they were sitting in a cage, and one day this guy decided to take two of them home with him, and he smuggled them out. He was a guard, after all, and trusted, and went home and got on the phone to the Mirror newspaper and the Sun newspaper, both British tabloids. Uh, to conduct an auction to sell them an early harry potter and they both sent representatives to uh, to his home in the, in the midlands of england and while he was making them a cup of tea the man from the sun grabbed a book on his front table and went charging down the front drive with it and the man went after them with a pistol um, and shot him uh, but he uh, missed, we, we'll, we'll hope for the sake of this story, he missed on purpose. And uh, the guy from the Mirror then rang the police who sent, it took seven men to wrestle this guy down, and the book was retrieved and the, the man was charged. So that's the kind of drama. So on the front page of The Sun the next day, they wrote a very brilliant article. This guy saying, I have reported on this nation's affairs from the front line in Helmand province in Afghanistan. I have been shot at from all sides, but never has my life been in greater danger than when I saved Harry Potter for the world.
1: So other,
2: other attempts? Well, um, another example is the story of the British equivalent of the National Security Agency, the NSA, which here is called Government Communications. Headquarters, GCHQ in Cheltenham, who listen to the internet, are official and benign spies, and they detected a rogue copy on the internet before publication, and they were trying to tip us off. And so we got our editor to listen to them reading this book, and it turned out to be a made-up. I mean, people actually wrote entire copies of Harry Potter themselves. It, so It wasn't the real thing. So we were very grateful to them. And they were asked by the Sunday Times who picked this story up recently to comment, and they said, we never comment on our defense against the dark arts.
0: Well, Nigel, thank you so much for talking to us about this.
2: Nice to speak to you.
1: Now's the part of our show where we like to thank our sponsors for giving us uh, the money it takes to Purchase goods and services.
0: This week, we want to tell you about Laganitas Brewing Company, which, the story goes, began on a kitchen stove in
1: Northern California. Looking ahead, uh, the end of this copy reads, wherever you go, beer speaks, people mumble. Mumble along at Mm-hmm. Sort of feel like the right thing to, to do, to best oh. reward our sponsors for their generous support. Uh, would be to just mumble the rest of this.
0: Okay. Uh, we should warn you this is going to be annoying.
1: Oh, yeah. From mattress is just getting a beer in my mouth, the street. I I am going to be. There's more in
0: communities by hearing beer in my because Or I'm simply feeling started again. Loganitas.com. Support this week also comes from Oso, a new mattress company
1: that wants you to sleep well so you can live well. Being healthy, they say, is about more than just exercising and eating well. It's about getting a good night of sleep. Each Oso mattress offers two comfort options to suit individual sleeping needs. Simply rotate the mattress for firm or soft.
0: Shipping is free, and with Oso's 101-night promise, you can try it risk-free. Promo code EVERYTHING will provide $50 off your purchase. Learn more at ososleep.com. 101 days, not a
1: thousand and one nights. Hey there, Jesse. What can we help you with?
3: So my question is about something that my family has basically developed through time. It's a way in which we would describe somebody who is acting either foolish or says something dumb or is, that looks ridiculous. And what we call that person is a Nate, just like the shortened term of the shortened, I guess, nickname for Nathan. And we, it's tongue in cheek, but definitely has kind of a pejorative meaning to it. And I have no idea where it originated from. And certainly it's not because I've had some kind of traumatic experience with anybody named Nate. Although when I meet somebody by that name, I certainly have a strange feeling toward them initially. But I was recently speaking with a friend who was admitting this, this very thing, and he said to me that in his family they did the same thing, but they called them Chucks. Chucks. Yes, as in, you know, Chuck uh-huh. short for Charles. So my question is, is this normal, and does everybody just have, pick a, you know, choose a name and then refer to people that annoy them or say something stupid or cut them off in traffic by that general name?
1: It's interesting because both of those are abbreviations for longer yeah. names.
3: Yes, there is something to that. Like, I I wouldn't call somebody a a Nathan. But, you know, just the other day I was driving with my wife, and somebody sped past her and moved right in front of us in the lane. And I said, would you look at this, Nate? What does he think he's doing? Really? Oh, Absolutely. And, in fact, so my wife married into the family, of course, and I have a brother-in-law. They both also use it. It's ubiquitous. We use it everywhere. My, My mother's called me this many times.
1: And so and when that happens you don't it's it just rolls off the tongue like it it is just that is the word that comes to you naturally
3: It is second nature it it seems strange otherwise which is why if i meet somebody in a in a social or a professional setting and they say their name is Nate there is something deep within me that uh, th- there is a strange repulsion No really uh, Absolutely
0: Have you ever t- revealed this to somebody named Nate
3: I, I have not, actually. I, I know a couple of Nates Did, uh, oh really? fairly well, but uh, I have never admitted this. So uh, for anybody whose name is Nathan, I sincerely apologize.
0: Wait, how well? How, tell us about these Nates that you know. Are they are they good friends? Be, uh, best friends?
3: See, I, I have to say, even as you ask that question, we say, tell me about the Nates you know, I'm immediately thinking of the people in my life that don't have that name but carry that designation in mind. <laughs>
0: So, in your mind, Nate isn't even a name that you give to a person. It's what you call a dumb person.
3: Th- that's correct. It almost seems inappropriate that anybody would actually be named that. Wow.
1: Well, uh, we we are going to investigate this as best we can.
3: Uh, that would be t-
0: fantastic. Well, Jesse, we have someone we think can help you with this. Nate Silver is the founder of 538. And the man uh, we all turn to for all kinds of statistical analysis.
1: Also, the most famous Nate we could think of.
0: So, Nate, what do you think of all this?
4: (laughs) I have never heard that before. I mean, I've heard people get annoyed with me and call me Nate. Um, Or Nathaniel, my parents would probably call me. But as a Nate, how does that feel, I guess? (laughs) I guess I feel insult, but you know, I can understand. I mean, Nate's like, it's a four letter word. It's using like, you know, all kind of one letter, all one point Scrabble tiles. So if you're going to have a name that common, then you ought to be ready for it to stand in and have multiple meanings or it's kind of odd that Nate doesn't mean something else. John, for example, means many different things oh. apart from the name John. Yeah. Right. Um, but Nate, I mean, it probably should stand for something apart from just a four letter name.
1: I mean, it's it's for you specifically. You're you're someone who people know to be, or believe to be, a very smart person. (laughs) A a very (laughs) much emphasis on
4: on believe, yeah. Um, (laughs) I mean, I guess there's kind of there's also the Nate side. My parents named me, you know, technically my name is Nathaniel, Uh and my parents chose Nate as my nickname because they were kind of anti Nathan. In fact, and so um, so I guess I have somewhat divided loyalties here. But, yeah, I mean, I think Nate's a good name, and it's, like, not overly common, and I guess I do feel a little bit upset if it's being used in, in that way. But I still want to know more about the people who, who are using it like that. Jesse and his family, yeah. Just them?
0: I think, yeah, and I think it's, it's also spreading, then, as, they, as people marry into Jesse's family, it then <laughs> spreads to the in-laws.
4: Well, you know, I don't know if they're prolific at having children or not, but it could be, it could, you know, that could be as many as, um, fifteen or sixteen people using it a generation from now.
0: Yeah. Hey Nate, if you had to think about a way that you could use your name, Nate, as a verb, uh, <laughs> like you can jimmy a door, what would you? What would be the verb? What action would be conveyed by nating something?
4: Well, it's weird. You know, I obviously, the I want to say, oh, you know, you kind of carefully reflect on it. But the term Nate, like the name itself is like kind of very conveys like immediacy or something, right? It's kind of a quick word. It's like not a deliberative word, right? It's kind of one monosyllabic. And so maybe it means like let's, let's crunch the numbers real quick, you okay. know, do a quick and good estimate. You know, are we going to have to split the check? Let me let's do a Nate or let me Nate that, right? Or something like that. I, this isn't. Quite coming out like it's supposed to, but something of that of that nature. Because there's no word for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No,
0: I think I get it. So if you're if you're trying to split the bill, could somebody Nate this bill so we could figure out? Yeah, it's how like, much we it's all like
4: owe? a it's like a really it's like better than an estimate. You know, mm. it's like a good estimate.
0: Well, Nate, uh, thank you so much for doing this and for withstanding. I guess what could be <laughs> potentially a very bad insult to you.
4: I'm happy to stand in and take all the abuse I can get. We don't we don't think you're a Nate. I, well, I am. But I want to I change how we think of Nate.
0: Yeah. I mean, so technically yeah. you are a an Nate.
4: And if that doesn't work, technically I'm a Nathaniel. <laughs>
0: You'll always have that. <laughs> hey, Ben. What can we help you with?
5: Oh, I have soccer dad problems. I know how to play soccer. I played soccer as a child. I'm versant in sports, and that's not like I'm, I'm sports illiterate or non-athletic. I mean, I'm not very good at it. But, uh, you know, I, I know how to play the game. My daughter is 11, okay. and she's on a league, a uh, local league, and it's a very competitive, very high-powered, high-paced. And going with that is parents and fathers, maybe more vocally, on the sidelines, who are very skilled and very confident in the kinds of both encouragements that they yell out and observing slights that the referee has, has done or pointing out things that the, the girls should be doing. Mm. And I feel limited in this. Like, I really don't have anything to yell. Right. The one thing they always say all, all game long is, send it. Send it, send it. Like, they always want the girls to send it.
0: What Ben, what do you do during the game?
5: Uh, I usually pace a lot. Okay. You know, 10 feet here, 10 feet there.
1: I mean, I, I, my experience with, you know, kids' sports is pretty limited, but my impression is that the dads who yell are actually the worst people.
5: Many of them have been kicked out of the game for, for this yelling. Really? Wow. Yeah. It's a, it's a complex thing. They're At this level of, of playing, the referees are also pretty young because they're training to be referees. So you don't want to yell at the refs. I don't know. So, I mean, I'm inclined to agree with you that these aren't the best people.
0: <laughs> I don't think you want to be yelling out there, Ben. I think you're probably in the perfect position. You don't have any of
1: the tools to yell, even if you wanted to. Are you,
5: is this like a therapy call now?
1: It seemed to turn into that. We don't, we don't need to go that way. If you...
5: I feel better hearing that.
1: Okay. Yeah, we want you to be comfortable.
5: I mean, there has to be something, though.
1: So so really the ideal is that we would come up with something you could say, which you could say at any time in the game, and it would be appropriate, and also would not get you kicked out of the
5: game. Yeah, well, I think even more, the other dads would kind of look over at me and, and nod. Well, uh,
1: I, I think we're going gonna, we're gonna to find some help. Th- thanks so much for calling in. All right, so uh, online with us now is someone experienced in the ways of soccer. It's Tommy Smith. He is a soccer commentator for ESPN. So, Tommy, let's
0: start here. What should Ben
1: yell at his daughter?
6: Stay on her right. Stay on her right. Okay. Because she's a right footed kicker.
0: Sure.
1: Okay. Okay.
6: Stay on okay. her right. Don't let her buy you. Don't let her pass.
1: And uh, let's say it's just, just kind of general mayhem. I mean, I you know, know, know when 11-year-olds p- yeah, play yeah, soccer. Yeah.
6: Yeah, just put a boot to it.
1: Put a boot to it.
6: Yeah.
1: Okay.
0: What about, so, Tommy, we should say you've, you've called soccer games for years, right? Right. Or should I say football games? Can I call them soccer games?
6: Uh, I, I call them soccer.
0: Okay, I'm so Irish. Ter- okay, good. So you've called soccer games for years. What are some of the things that you say? Like, let's say there's an exciting goal. What, what do you say about that?
6: Well, I always say that that's a bulge in the old onion bag, or he hit a peach of a goal.
0: Oh, or, nice. Or
6: yesterday I said he was all alone and he banged at home.
1: What do you, I mean, those are those are kind of your phrases. What do you, Do you, are you okay with Ben maybe using those during yeah, the yeah, game?
6: Yeah, 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 yeah. No problem. Okay,
0: how about, um, let's say it's a tense game. It's tied and the players are, I mean, they're not fighting, but it's clearly they're going at it.
6: Right. How If
0: Ben's on the sidelines, what could he say to maybe one of the other dads?
6: Uh, keep your hands down. Leave my daughter alone. Forget about it.
0: <laughs> All right, anything else? Anything the heat of the game? Uh, what if it's Ireland versus England? What are you saying to describe the action on the pitch?
6: Just get stuck in and do your best. Just get in there and get a touch on the ball. Mm-hmm. Somebody get a touch on the ball. Come on, you can do better than that. You can get in there. Y- You're not going to let them walk away from you like that, are you?
1: Hey, uh... Uh, tell me, while while you have you here, can I ask you about uh, something non-soccer related? Sure. How does how does calling somebody a Nate like ah quit being such a Nate? How does that strike you?
6: I uh, never heard it before. Something completely new to me. But I guess you get the message across. Yeah. yeah. Like I would be if if I if I was talking to somebody, I would say, look, it don't be such a Nate. Or you know that fellow's a real idiot. Or he married a real agent.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well Tommy, thank you so much for helping out Ben.
6: No problem. I hope Ben has good luck and doesn't get in too many fist fights and if he gets a black eye, don't blame Tommy. Tommy Smith for the wine never got anybody a black eye.
0: That does it for this week's show. What'd you learn, Ian?
1: I learned that at, at one point, you know, in the beginning of the Harry Potter Mania, even before the Harry Potter Mania began. The, the first book was sort of spread across europe yeah in in, in yeah. trash cans
0: yeah that's crazy this this book that is a phenomenon
1: was stuffed in garbage all around europe imagine if you know for one reason or another you had reached into the first trash can and read the first page and you were a little intrigued and then you fa- you like found the next trash can got the second page and you tried to keep going but by the end you had been in you know 300 trash cans and you just had to find more and more trash cans to finish the story you just covered in Ketchup and
0: mayonnaise.
1: I feel like the whole thing could go wrong You could get okay. So, you know, Harry has to fight the big snake or whatever it Mm -hmm. was Um, And then the next page Was someone's burrito receipt that would be confusing. Yeah, yeah this is experimental storytelling
0: wait so is the burrito the horcrux
1: how to do everything is produced by natia wilson with technical direction from lorna white our intern this week is jenny hill happy birthday jenny it's so nice of you to come in uh, on your birthday and do all the hard work that we ask of our interns.
0: You can send us your questions. Send them to us at howto at npr.org. Our website is
1: howtodoeverything.org. I'm Nate. I'm Mike. Thanks. Thanks.
0: Well, if you decided to listen to this podcast, uh, now this podcast is over. And it's time for us to tell you about something else.
1: And today that's Invisibilia. They're back with a new season about invisible forces that shape human behavior.
0: This week, hosts Elise Spiegel and Lulu Miller take you on a journey to an Ohio prison.
1: They've been imprisoned for uh, a series of carjackings. And we don't know if they're going to get out. It's
0: going to be great. You can listen and subscribe to Invisibilia at npr.org slash podcasts and on the NPR One app.